Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. Bow your heads with me, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much, not for the encouragement, but for the fact that heaven will prevail. That the gates of hell don't stand a chance in this place here tonight, Lord. The chains are being loosed here tonight. There are some strongholds in this room that have had their day. They've been standing for too long, but tonight, Lord, you are bringing them down, and you are trampling them under your feet, because you have that kind of authority, and it belongs only to you. So God, speak to us tonight. Move in our midst tonight. You are not just our Savior. You are our Lord. So we want to obey your word tonight. And we trust that you have a word for us. So would you give us open ears, open hearts, to hear the word that you have prepared for us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name, we all said, amen. Amen, River. Amen. Give the Lord one last praise. Don't sit down just yet. Don't sit down just yet. Um, I get the honor and the privilege of introducing our guest speaker tonight. Um, he kind of feels like family to me. This is not his first time here at the river. He was here a year ago this week, actually. Um, I think that we might just make him an honorary Canadian. I don't know. He's American. He hails from Charlotte, North Carolina. Our guest speaker tonight is none other than Wade Joy. He's not going to come out yet, but would you just give it up for him? Just make him feel welcome. Yeah. i just tell you a little bit about him. Um, Wade is an author. He's a speaker. He's a teacher. He's a coach. He's helping grow churches all around the world, grow leaders all around the world. You may know him from a little church called Elevation Church. Anybody ever heard of that one? He was the worship pastor there for 14 years. He started when the church was meeting in high schools, and he felt called to move into a different ministry, itinerant teaching and speaking and authoring um, when Elevation was at their peak in, in arenas. And he is here tonight to bring the word. He's got a beautiful family, three daughters. I'm sure he'll tell you all about them, a wife and three beautiful daughters. But we're so honored that he would be here tonight. He just authored a book. And guys, this, this is not a shameless book plug. I'm four chapters in, so I'm not all the way there. I can only attest for the first four chapters. But I can tell you that my life has already been changed in at least four ways from just four chapters. This book that Wade just authored is a book that will change your life. It's called This Dream Is Not For You. It's incredible. I really want to encourage everyone in the room to get it. There's a QR code that's going to come up on the screen. You can scan that QR code if you want to get this book. We'll put it on the graphic after the message, after the night. But it's called This Dream Is Not For You, and it is incredible. So please, please check it out. But without further to do, would you give, like, 
Would you show Wade how we welcome people at the river? Would you give him a big Canadian welcome? How Canadians welcome people? Come on, give it up for Wade Joy. It is so good to be here tonight. I, I don't know if I have words to express how good tonight was for my soul. I, uh, I've experienced and wrestled with just some heaviness over the last several days with some stuff going on. And I felt like all of that lifted tonight during worship. And isn't the presence of God such an amazing, such a powerful, such a healing healing thing. And I was marked by my time with y'all last year. All year long, I've been talking about the river. I've been praying that Ryan would invite me back to the river. And, and the Lord heard my cry. The Lord answered my prayers. But I just, I am so blown away by what God is doing through you, Pastor Ryan and Lindsay. And it's just, it's really, really special. I don't want y'all to take this for granted. God is stirring something up in this city, in this community, through you. And I think pretty soon this room won't be able to contain it. Oh, so I am grateful. You're standing in the middle of a dream right now. Um, and so don't take that for granted. Y'all can, can have a seat right now. But um, yeah, you're, you're living in the middle of a dream that many, many people around the world would love to be a part of. But I also know, and tell me if you've had this experience in your life, that you can be living in one dream, yet experiencing a no to another dream in your life. A lot of times we live in that tension of hearing a yes and a no. And I want to know how many of you right now are hearing some form or have heard this at some point in your life, uh, these six words that none of us like to hear, this dream is not for you. Have you ever had a dream denied? Have you ever had a dead dream in your life, something that felt so far out of reach. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I'm like speaking to the right group of people tonight, because I think we've all heard that. We might not have heard those exact six words, but we've had that same feeling of something is just out of reach, something that our heart loves. And, and maybe somebody here tonight, you're a guy and you can't make eye contact with the girl down the road because you asked her out and she said, this dream is not for you. So we've all had... That has been my testimony at other points in my life, but all of us have heard this dream is not for you. And in fact, the very thing happened to King David. Um, he's referred to as a man after God's own heart, but he experienced or he didn't experience some things that he prayed and asked God to let him see. And so I want us to go to this scripture. It's our opening text for our time together. It's from 1 Chronicles chapter 28. And David is standing in front of the leaders of Israel, and this is his, this dream is not for you moment, or he's at least telling them about that. And it says this in verse 2, it says, King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. So my title for tonight is Live by Letting Go. So if you're a note taker, write down Live by Letting Go. If I was going to add a subtitle, I would call it Sitting in Surrender. 
um, but that'll make sense later. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll dive in. God, I thank you for the fact that we can trust you whether we're living in our dream or whether our dream looks like it's died, God. We thank you that we can, we can find everything that we need for our fulfillment and our life and our purpose in Jesus. So speak to us through your word. Speak to us through your spirit. Help me faithfully preach what you've asked me to communicate. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Ryan told you I worked at, at Elevation Church as the worship pastor. So I'm a retired worship leader. I'm a retired songwriter. Those days are, are far in my past. And I was telling my kids recently, I was trying to figure out the first song that I ever wrote. And I was kind of tracing like my love for music. And it was just really a chance for me to tell my kids about the music I grew up with in the 90s, like Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana. And, and do we have any old people like me that love that stuff? Uh, for, for a short time, my daughter's favorite band was Foo Fighters, and I thought that was like the greatest parenting achievement ever. But as I was talking, I realized, to the best of my knowledge, I wrote my first song in second grade. And so I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, and we have a Columbia, South Carolina fan here? That's all right. Um, but I, I remember having an amazing childhood. I have great parents. Uh, so they raised me really well. I have nothing to complain about, but they were a bit overprotective. And I've actually become a bit overprotective as a dad too. So I get it now, but I didn't get it then. It seemed like, and it was a little bit much. But my second grade year, I really felt it. I didn't see the love behind it because there were certain bike riding restrictions placed upon me against my will that I was very, very frustrated about. And so let me just paint the picture for you. In second grade, back in the 80s, when my, me and my friends came home from school, this is the world before the internet. So what we did when we got home from school is we actually went outside. And we, we actually got on our bikes, and it was crazy. You should try it. It was, it was really, really fun. And I had a certain limit. I could go all the way down my street of Mountain Brook Drive until I reached the stop sign. And for a while, that was fine. My friends and I, we like tore up the pavement on Mount Brook. It was, it was amazing. But soon, my friends got tired of just that one street. And their parents weren't as, um, uh, weren't as restrictive as my parents were. And so one day, we drove to the stop sign. Or drove. We rode our bike to the stop sign. And I was fully expecting us to turn around and go back. And my friends decided that they were going to go past the stop sign. And I want you to imagine second grade, pitiful Wade, just standing at the stop sign, watching all my friends ride off to explore the wonder and the joy that awaited them in the rest of the neighborhood. And I was heartbroken, y'all. I came back and I begged with my parents. I pleaded. I tried to explain to them that I was trustworthy, that I deserved it because I got good grades and none of that was working. And then I tried to tell them that I was intimidating to strangers and no one would mess with me, but my short stature did not really sell that very well. So every day I'd go to the stop sign and I'd watch my friends ride off. And so one day I just had enough. And so I rode my bike back to the house and I threw the bike against the fence. And then I sat down against the fence and I was just, I was just feeling it. Once again, just imagine tiny second grade Wade, which is about the size of 47-year-old Wade, but that's, <laughs> and a song just like started to stir up within me, and it went like this. 
Nobody understands me. Nobody understands me. If you catch on, you can sing along with me. Nobody understands me. And then the big finish. Nobody understands me. So you see, I really I understood simplicity and repetition, which helped me one day writing worship songs. And in that moment, I felt so like everything in life awaited me beyond that stop sign. And eventually I made it past the stop sign. But I never really made it past that feeling in the next 40-something years a feeling like there's something in my life that God was holding out on from giving me. That there was something that I wasn't experiencing that everyone else was getting to experience, something so much bigger, so much greater. And that's fine when it's a stop sign when you're in second grade, but as I've gotten older, my dreams have gotten bigger and they've gotten more personal and they've gotten more attached to my heart. And let me say this up front. I've gotten to live in many amazing dreams. I'm a very, very blessed man. I got to marry the woman of my dreams, my wife, Ferris. I have three beautiful girls, twins that are 15. My youngest daughter turns 11 next week. I got to work at a dream church. I just got to release a book. God has done amazing things in my life. But I've also had some really painful things not work out and some painful dreams not live up to my expectations. So I remember weeping in a hospital room when my twins were born three months premature at 27 weeks. And three days after they were born, Liana had a grade four brain bleed and they said she would never walk, she'd never talk, and to consider taking her off life support. And I remember my wife and I just begging God every single week when she was gonna have a brain scan, saying, God, please just let this scan come back and the, just the bleed be gone. And that never happened. That dream didn't work out. And then I remember four years later when we finally had the courage to have another child, and we did, and her name's Sydney, and she's amazing. And then five weeks after she was born, she was diagnosed with something called cystic fibrosis. And our dreams of having a healthy pregnancy where we got to actually bring our baby home when we were supposed to, this experience we didn't get with our twins, we thought that was gonna happen. And now we're, we're raising a child with a lifelong genetic terminal condition. And then there were dreams for my family. You know, we talked about Elevation Church where I got to help build this amazing worship ministry. And right as things were, it really felt like the impact was growing. I was asked to step away and not be a worship leader anymore and not play the part that I thought I was going to play. And so those kind of dreams are a lot harder to deal with when they don't work out. So I wonder who in here is currently experiencing a really painful, this dream is not for you moment. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you're not experiencing right now, at some point in your life, you will. And so I know it feels very depressing up to this point, but I really want to give you some hope. But a lot of times in life, you look around and it doesn't feel like there's a lot of hope. You've prayed and you dreamed about you know, your dream wedding, and you've never been able to buy the dress. You, uh, you and your wife have prayed to have kids, and you watch all your friends have the gender reveal um, announcement and the videos on Instagram, and you've never been able to conceive. 
and have a child. You've sent out the resumes. You've written songs. You've, you've tried out for the team. All these things that are in your heart, and they haven't been able to work out. And so you're left staring at a no to your dream, but begging God for a yes. And here's where it gets really confusing to me, is that the greater the potential the dream has for good in our eyes, the greater the confusion is when God seems to say no. Have you ever had that argument with God? Like, God, this would be an amazing thing. This would help people. This would further the gospel. This, this has to be something that you would want. And David was in that exact same position because David was denied a very, very good dream. So here's a little backstory on David if you're not familiar with him, if you're new to church. So David was the second king of Israel um, after King Saul, and he established a new royal line after Saul was killed. You probably know David best from David and Goliath when he defeated the Philistine giant. He was a brave and brilliant military leader and king. He brought Israel victory over their enemies, the Philistines. He was a passionate worshiper. He wrote 73 psalms. Um, he's considered Israel's greatest king. So David got to experience a lot of great success. He also experienced some pretty devastating failures. Um, if you've heard the story of David and Bathsheba where he was an adulterer, he was a murderer. He was an absentee father when his son Absalom rebelled against him and tried to overthrow him. But he was still considered a man after God's own heart. And I think you're going to understand a bit more why at the end of the message. But one thing's for sure, David got to live a lot of his dreams. But the one dream that he really wanted, I think if I'm imagining, this could have been what David thought would be his crowning achievement, was to build a temple for the Lord. Because Jerusalem had been established as the capital of Israel, and, and David wanted to build this temple where the presence, the manifest presence of God would dwell. So he went to the prophet Nathan. He said, Nathan, I want to build this temple. Nathan said, sounds great. Go do it. But then that night, God in a vision and a dream told Nathan, no, actually, you were wrong. Go tell David he's not supposed to do it. So imagine that kind of whiplash for David. So once he heard that the dream was not for him from, his, from the prophet Nathan, but it was for his son, I want to read the scripture one more time with that in context. So this is what we read earlier. King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it, but God said to me, this dream is not for you. You are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. So there was actually a good reason why God said no to this dream because David was a warrior. His assignment was to bring peace to Israel, to defeat Israel's enemies, and the builder of the temple couldn't have blood on their hands. But the dream was really deep in David's heart. It wasn't just a whim on a Tuesday afternoon. He had made plans to build it. So in the face of this no, David had a choice that I think all of us wrestle with all the time. David could have said, okay, Nathan, you probably heard it wrong. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want to do. This has to be God's will because it seems like it's a good thing. So I'm just going to make it happen. I'm going to hold on to this dream, and I'm going to strive to make it happen in my own strength and my own power. And that's the way culture has taught us to dream. Culture has taught us to, to chase our dreams no matter the cost. Culture's told us to follow our hearts no matter what anyone else has to say about it. Culture has told us to dream like this with clenched fists. But I think David shows us a better way to dream 
I think he shows us the way of the kingdom because David models what it looks like to live by letting go. So if the world says to dream like this, I think the way of Jesus is to dream like this with open hands of surrender. The dream isn't the issue, it's how we carry the dream. It's how we choose to dream, it's how we choose to trust, to live not by searching for a specific yes, but to live our lives in a position of yes. And to even learn how to carry our yes in the face of a painful no. And I think we, mo- we see David model that, but we also see Jesus talk about this years and years later. John chapter 12, verses 24 through 25. This is one of those scriptures that sometimes we don't really like to talk about or think about, but this is from the words of Jesus. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Yeah, that's a good thing to clap about. It's a hard thing to live out, though. See, Jesus is talking about his life here. He's about to sacrifice his life to bring about redemption, the establishment of the church, but he's also modeling what it means to be a disciple, what it means to actually be his follower, the way we're called to live our lives. He's saying that if anyone loves their life, their plans, their ambition, their dreams more than they love the kingdom, will eventually lose themselves in pursuit of that dream. And I've seen that time and time again in our lives, in my life. So dreams, don't get this wrong, dreams are incredible gifts from God. They motivate us to do amazing works to further the kingdom of God, but we have to make sure we're holding them the right way. And so I want you to get this. If you're a note taker, please write this down. If surrender is the defining posture of a disciple, it must be the defining posture of a dreamer too. So we have to move from striving to make your dream happen at all costs to surrendering your dream to God no matter the cost. And I think that is the one of these uh, foundational tensions of the Christian life. We trust Jesus with our eternity, but will we trust him with our dreams? Will we trust him with our future? Will we trust him with the things that are the closest to our hearts? So how did David do that? How did David hear a no, and then years later, in that passage that I read to you, stand before the people of Israel and celebrate that God told him no? And he's championing his son Solomon. How did David get to that point? And I was, I was meditating on that this week, and I was praying. And I honestly wish I could go back and rewrite the book and add this one little part in. But in 2 Samuel 7, so this goes years before that speech I read. And this is when David went to Nathan. Nathan had the word from God that, where God said, this is not for you, David, to build. And then Nathan goes and he tells David, this dream is not for you. And then 2 Samuel 7, 18, to me is the key verse that unlocks David's surrender. And it's a really, really simple verse. 2 Samuel 7, 18 says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. David sat before the Lord. Here's the thing that God is teaching me right now in my life. That you can't surrender until you learn to sit. 
And you can't surrender anything to God until you learn how to sit before God. And it's not even so much the physical posture that I'm talking about. It's more of the heart posture to say, God, I'm going to humble myself in dependence and trust. Even in my pain, I'm going to sit before you with my hands open. And David learned how to, it doesn't even tell us how long he sat there before he started his prayer that we're going to get into a little bit later. But David realized that before you surrender, you have to learn to sit. And I learned that, or started to learn that, the day that my dream died. Um, I'm sorry, I'm really close to y'all right here, but we're just, we're, we're getting friendly. But about seven years into my time at Elevation, I was there for 14 years. Like I said, I, my dream was to be a worship leader my entire life. I, I love, ever since second grade in my song about the stop sign, I wanted to, to I guess, serve God through music. And then I finally got to be a part of this amazing church. And Pastor Stephen invited me and a guy named Chris Brown and a guy named Matt Brock, who's been up here many times, to come up and build this worship ministry. And for the first seven years, I was living the dream, really. I was able to pastor people, write songs, uh, record on albums, do all these things that I never thought I'd be able to do. And then I had a conversation with Pastor Stephen one day, it was a Tuesday afternoon after a worship experience meeting, and he asked me to stay uh, afterwards, and he said, hey, I just want to have a talk with you about your future, which that sounds very foreboding when you hear that. Um, he said, Chris and Mac are anointed worship leaders, vocalists, and songwriters. When they do that, there's just something special that happens in the room. He said, they're great at that. I think you are good at those things, but you have a lid. But what I do think you are great at is pastoring people, shepherding people, teaching. And one day you're going to have to decide, are you willing to let go of what you're good at in order to take hold of what God's called you to be great at? Y'all, that's not fun to hear in the moment, especially when I had all these visions of what I thought my path, where it was going to take me. And so I went home that night and went upstairs, and I was kind of having a first-world pity party. Uh, there were way more devastating things that happened besides this, but for me, it was a very real pain in the moment. And I just sat on my bed, and I was kind of back to second-grade Wade by the fence, just like, God, why can't I go past the stop sign? Why can't I do this? And I sat there in self-pity for about 10 minutes, and then I noticed that my Bible was just open on my dresser to what I'd been reading that morning. And so it took me a while to finally say, okay, God, I guess let me just see what you have to say about this. Um, and I opened, and it was that passage about David being told no. And I felt like in that moment, God was saying, do you trust me enough to play a different part in your dream than you thought you were going to play? Do you trust me? what I want to build, not what you want to build. And in that moment, I learned that I wouldn't have gotten that if I had just sat said, God, what are you wanting to say to me? And nothing, honestly, nothing changed in that moment for how I was feeling. This was a years-long process of God working in my heart. So I don't want to paint a picture like everything became rosy in my life after that. But what I want to communicate to you is we will never be able to go through the process of surrender 
if we don't stop and actually ask God, what do you want to speak to me? What do you want for my life? Do you actually slow down and sit and listen? Because that is the first step towards surrender. You're not going to be able to do it if you don't actually ask God, what do you want to speak to me? And realize, like I said, it's not going to be a quick fix, but the word of the Lord also never returns void. So can we learn how to sit? And so I want to just, in the brief time that we have left, I want to walk through four things that David learned to let go of as he sat before God. And I don't think this was an immediate process, but I think we see through David's prayer that God had given him a true north for his heart to move towards. So the first is this, let go of your diminished definitions. Let go of your diminished definitions. So here's what I want you to look at. Notice how God messed with David's definition of the word house. So David wanted to build a house, a temple for God. And in 2 Samuel 7, verses 27 through 29, David said, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. So David said, God, I want to build you a house. And God said, no, I actually want to build a house through you. So David was talking about this grand, glorious temple where the manifest presence of God would dwell in the midst of his people, Israel. And that's a pretty good definition of a house, but God had something even bigger in mind. Because in those times, and today still, a house can mean a family, it can mean your line of descendants, it can be a legacy. And it was almost as if God was saying, yeah, that dream to build the temple is great, and we're actually going to do that. It's just your son is going to do it. But I have something much bigger in mind because the house that God was establishing through David would be the royal line through which Jesus would come, through which our Savior would come, through which salvation would come. So David was saying, you know, my house that I want to build for you is where your presence will dwell in this city, in our nation. And God was saying, well, I actually want to build a house through you so that my presence can, can live in the hearts of everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, whether in Israel or outside of Israel. So God's definition of a house was so much bigger than what David can see in that moment. So God needed to enlarge his definitions. And I've realized in my life, I've had such a small definition of my purpose because I have equated my dream with my purpose. And I'm sure that David probably thought building this temple was his purpose. And I used to think that being a worship leader was my purpose. And I think what frustrates so many of us is when you think you are defined by what you do or you're defined by what your dream, when you're not living in that dream, you feel like you've lost your sense of purpose. And some of you think that God can't use you because you're not living in your dream, and that is a lie from the enemy. You have lost your true sense of purpose as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus. The reason that conversation with Pastor Stephen was so hard for me is because I thought if I wasn't Wade the worship leader, then I was of no use or significance to the kingdom of God. And that was a lie from the enemy 
to take me out. I was the only one who could take me out of ministry. The enemy couldn't do it, but I could think that I had lost my purpose. And so I want to speak to somebody right now. You think your dream is your calling? You think your dream is your purpose? It is one possible way you can live out your purpose, but it's not the only way. Your purpose is to love God, to know God, to love others, to make disciples, to be a carrier of the gospel. And you can do that in a job you love, and you can do that in a job you hate. You can do that in victory. You can do that in suffering. You can do that on your best days. You can do that on your worst days. So we need to have a bigger definition of purpose and just realize that your dream is one vehicle and you might live in one dream in one season and another dream in another season and be denied a dream in this season but you carry your purpose through it all so enlarge your definitions don't have a diminished definition here's why that's important just let me say this one last thing before i move on what defines you controls you so whatever you attach your meaning and purpose to is what you end up giving power to in your life and so you hand the keys over of your emotional, your spiritual well-being to something that a lot of times it's out of your control. So we have to make sure we attach our meaning and our purpose to the only one who won't let us down, and that is Christ. That is our Savior. We need better definitions. Here's the second thing we have to let go of. Let go of your preferred position your preferred position in the dream. Here's something that is easy to miss in the story with David. God wasn't really saying no to David's dream. He was just telling David he was going to be in a different position, that he had a different role to play. It just wasn't the role David initially thought he would play. David would start by making the plans, but Solomon would be the one to build it and see its glory. And so just to be honest in here, it's not easy to cheer someone else on living in your dream. I know it'd be the churchy thing to say that it is, but it's not. It's hard. What's harder than hearing this dream is not for you is hearing, well, this dream is really for someone else. That is a very, very hard thing to overcome in our hearts. It would have been a lot easier for me in second grade at the stop sign if my friends hadn't gone past it, if they had just stayed with me. It would have been a lot easier in that conversation with Pastor Stephen if I didn't watch Chris and Mac live out the thing that I wanted to live in. So it was a long process of God changing my heart. And the honest truth is, it's hard because we are usually the center of our own dream. We think the dream revolves around us. So we have to learn to do what David did and reframe our narrative about who's at the center because it's not meant to be me and it's not meant to be you. Look at verse 21. David said, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. Look at, look at who David is, is putting the focus on. It's your word. It's your will. God is the center here. David sees himself <clears throat> as a servant. Years ago, I remember Pastor Stephen asked our, our staff one time, he was teaching on dreams, and he said, are you the center or are you the servant? And that question has guided me for years because David was a king, but he had to realize he was the servant of a much greater king. And when you're the servant and when something is in the center, it doesn't matter where you sit when you're revolving around something that is the focal point of your dream. And so one of the most helpful things for me 
to remember that I'm a servant of the king is to serve someone else. And it's especially to serve someone else living in my dream, even if my heart doesn't feel like it in the moment. See, we see later in the speech uh, in 1 Chronicles 28 that David instructs Solomon on how to build the temple. He gives him the plans. He resources him by mobilizing the people to support Solomon. He tells Solomon to be strong and courageous and to finish the work. So David does everything he can to set Solomon up for success. So are you willing to do what you can do when you're not allowed to do the thing that you want to do? So for me, this um, it was actually kind of years after all this stuff at Elevation. It was toward the end of my time there when I thought that I'd moved past all these struggles. I thought I'd graduated from the jealousy or the envy. And we were recording an album called Old Church Basement. And I remember... I was watching the teams down there. They were rehearsing, and every, the songs were amazing, and, and everything was going great. And I remember sitting up at the top of the room, um, watching the people that I led do what I wanted them to do, and they were thriving in their gifts. And, but in my mind, I was thinking, I have nothing to do. Like, what am I adding to this? What am I contributing? And I didn't connect the dots with leadership, and I know all the right answers for it. But in that moment... I didn't feel it, and I didn't see it. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke something into my heart and said, well, what you can do is be the best encourager in the room. And so I didn't feel like doing that, but the next day I tried to make it a point to have as many one-on-one conversations as I could to encourage as many people as I could. And it changed my heart. It changed my whole perspective of that event. And I find that when we take the step of obedience to be ruthless about making the right heart choice, even if we don't feel it, when we can cheer someone else on who's living in our dream. Pastor Stephen one time said, mature ministry is being more excited about what God does through others than what he does through you. When we can actually live that out, it changes us. And people take notice because that's not the way of the world. The world doesn't do that, but the kingdom of God does. And so can you let go of your preferred position? All right, here's the third one. Let go of your entitled expectations. This one steps on my toes, too. Sometimes we hear about surrender and think that God doesn't want us to live with any expectation at all. And I just want to say that is not what I'm talking about. And I don't think that's what the Bible says. 1 Peter 1, 3 It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. I love that. We can live with great expectation. We're meant to live and dream with a sense that God is at work all the time. And every day can be a surprise with what the Holy Spirit invites us into in the small moments and the big moment. So we should live with that sense of expectation that God wants to use us, that God cares about our heart. Here's the difference. There's a difference between dreaming with great expectation and dreaming with entitled expectation. And here's how you know. Entitled expectations always begin with two words. I deserve. And I think these are the two deadliest words to your contentment, to your peace, to your joy, and to your dreams, to think that you deserve something because you might say, I deserve this business to succeed because 
I sacrificed so much. I paid my dues. I deserve to be married because I've kept myself sexually pure. Um, I deserve that promotion because of how generous I am, how much I give away. And all those are really great things. And God uses all of that to conform you into his image and to make you more Christ-like. But that doesn't put God in your debt. And I think a lot of times we think God owes us something for our obedience. And this can be a hard word, but you don't want to play the I deserve game with God. Because the gospel is predicated on the fact that we have been given what we don't deserve. Because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of Jesus stepping in to our world and experiencing the, 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 having to pay the price for our sin, which he did deserve to give us the grace that we don't deserve. That is the gospel. So you don't want to play the I deserve game with the Savior who's given us everything. And so David models a better perspective in 2 Samuel 7, 18 through 19. So then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. David is basically saying, I don't deserve any of this, God. You're the one who's brought me this far. You're the one who's given me every single victory in my life. And David worships in this passage. And worship is the ultimate antidote to entitlement. Because worship moves you from I deserve to a life of you deserve. God, you deserve my trust you deserve my praise. You deserve the glory. You deserve my obedience. And that is the life of great expectation. That is what we're called to. And this is when we realize that your dream was given to you to be an offering given back to God. And that's where this dream is not for you. It's really not meant to be a statement of restriction. It's meant to be more of a statement of purpose or mission because this dream isn't for you. It's for God. Whether you live in it or whether you, you don't get to live in it, what you bring to it is, is your, your trust, your obedience, the way you can display Christ-likeness to others as you, as you walk through hard times. Your dream is always meant to glorify God, to serve other people. That's when your dream is healthy. And even when you don't get to live in it, you get to display Christ-likeness and trust to a world that desperately needs to see that. So this dream is not for you. It is for something and someone so much bigger. So we have to learn to live with this great expectation. But sometimes, even when you do that, even when you do every single step that I've talked about, you've let go of your entitled expectations, you've let go of your preferred position, you've let go, I can't even remember what my first point is right now, but all of that, there's still pain there. It still hurts. And that's why we have to learn to let go of your hidden hurt. Because sitting in surrender doesn't mean there isn't any pain. And I just want to give you <clears throat> just some freedom in the house of God that it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel hurt. You just got a call from the doctor that changed everything for you on the way here tonight. I don't expect you to come in here and act like everything is fine. That can be devastating. You got laid off. You don't know how you're going to support your family right now. There is real pain involved in all of that. So it hurts when a dream dies, 
it hurts when you don't know what your next step is going to be. And it's okay to feel the hurt. It's just not healthy to stay in that place. We don't get a lot of clues in 2 Samuel 7 about what disappointment David felt. It, it kind of stays hidden in the passage. We don't know how long he sat before he turned the corner towards worship. Maybe he sat in the disappointment for a long time. But we do know from the Psalms, like I said, David wrote 73 of them, that David felt emotions very intensely. There's some real, like, raw stuff in the Psalms. You can see that just Psalm 25, 16 through 18. It says, turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all my sins. I, for some reason, that verse 17, my problems go from bad to worse. Stood out, but I feel like that many, many times. So David was far from a perfect man. He felt very strong emotions. But I think what made David a man after God's own heart is he knew where to take the messiness of his heart. And so we know that David had a practice of sitting before God with a broken heart and with a joyful heart. And what I want to encourage you with tonight is that David knew he could bring his heart to God because he knew God could handle it. And even more important than that, he knew God could heal it. But God won't heal what you hide. You have to bring it to him. You have to come to God and say, God, this hurts. I'm disappointed. I don't know why. I don't know why it worked out this way. Yet still I trust you. One of the most helpful prayers that I can pray is, God, I feel like this, fill in the blank, but I know you are this. And I just hold on to a truth about God that doesn't seem very evident in the moment, but I know it's true because when you finally let go of your attempts to control, when you let go of your striving, when you let go of your bitterness, when you let go of just trying to make your dream happen at all costs, and you simply just sit before God and trust, even painful trust, that is when your hands are open to receive more of what you truly need, and that is Jesus. Jesus more than any dream. Jesus more than anything in your life. Your hands are open for what God has for you right now in this moment. And the enemy wants nothing more than to shut down your heart and faith so that you stop trusting God. And only you can do that. Don't stop trusting. And don't stop dreaming either because there could be a new dream for a different season of your life that's not even on your radar yet. And if you just shut your heart off, you'll never be able to experience what God wants to do through you. Because yes, I had to say no to a dream as a worship leader, but then I, my hands were open to realize that I love to teach and I love to write. And this whole new season of my life that I didn't see then when I was just holding on to my dreams of being a songwriter and singer. But God had to pry my hands open and he's given me so much that is even better. I believe sometimes the greatest gifts in our life are when God says no to a dream we thought we couldn't live without. And it doesn't mean it's easy, and it doesn't mean it's going to make sense all at once, but sometimes our dream has to die so something greater can live. A greater trust, a greater faith, a greater testimony, a greater focus, a greater love, a greater burden for people in that same situation and ultimately a, great, a greater realization that this dream is not for you. It is for something 
and a cause and a purpose so much greater. So we stand. I just want to pray over the dreams in your heart tonight that you'll be able to trust God. And will you just open your hands up in this posture of surrender? So, Lord, we trust you. We trust you when it doesn't make sense. We trust you when our heart tells us otherwise. We trust you no matter the report we just got because we know that you are good and you are faithful and that you love us and that you have a plan for our lives. And so, God, we just declare that you are Lord. We take ourselves out of the center and we recognize you in your rightful place on the throne. So we bow our hearts before you. Whatever your plans are for our life, whatever your dreams are, we say yes. And I do want to pray for specific people, God, that they're looking for clarity from you right now. They're looking for direction. I pray that you'll speak. I pray that you'll provide provision. You'll, you'll give them a sense of peace and clarity about what you are doing. And I actually want to pray right now, if you'll just keep your eyes closed, if there's anybody who's just going through a really painful no right now, you're dealing with a lot of hurt, you just raise your hand so I can just pray for you. I see. So God, I thank you for the fact that you're close to the brokenhearted and you save those who are crushed in spirit. And so God, I pray that you will just overwhelm everyone who raised their hands with the peace in the presence of Jesus. I pray for healing in their hearts. I pray for healing in their bodies where that is needed, healing in their finances. I pray for healing in their faith. We thank you, God, that you work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So we worship you in this place now, God. No matter what we're going on, or what's going on in our life, no matter where we are in our dream, we join together as one people, and we worship. Amen.